as we survey the landscape of modern-day evangelical churches, we are often met with a different view than that of the New Testament. One particular area of greatest difference is that of pastoral qualifications and duties. What are the qualifications of a pastor? What should pastors do? What, what metric should we use to measure whether or not a pastorate is successful or not? This morning, I want to think about just a few examples sort of within our own denomination this morning. Uh, so some examples this morning of, of what other Southern Baptist churches think uh, pastors should be doing. And, and I, I've narrowed this just to Southern Baptist churches uh, because I don't want to confuse people, and, and when I just, if I'm going to throw someone over the, under the bus, I, I think it would probably be wise just to throw ourselves under the bus, and so uh, here goes. I don't mean this to be comic relief, uh, but to genuinely get you to think about what, uh, what is a successful pastorate. What is your vision of what a pastor should do? I know this morning in a, in a crowd our size, there's, there's probably you know, 40 or 50 different opinions on what, what a pastor is. Uh, what makes a pastor, uh, what a pastor should do. Uh, here are a few examples. The lead pastor position will be best fulfilled by a visionary servant leader who is gifted in nurturing healthy relationships and can effectively communicate the vision God has placed in the heart of First Baptist Church. This role will primarily be responsible for preaching, vision casting, and leadership while gaining relational equity among the body of believers of the church. Another church listed this. The prospective pastor must be a leader in prayer, spiritual formation, and development. Amen, right? A leader in prayer. They go on to write, Our congregation feels that a pastor should prioritize his duties in the following order. This is always good uh, when they list these. Uh, sermon preparation visiting members, community involvement, involvement with and or oversight of children and youth ministry, leadership and administration of the church and church staff, followed by others. Now notice these come after those other things. So once this guy gets done with all those, then um, he's to do these things. Personal Bible study and prayer, visiting prospective members, counseling, personal soul winning, and attending denominational or associational meetings. Now, just one comment. I don't know how this pastor is going to be a leader in prayer if his personal prayer time comes after all these other things. They go on to write, the candidate should be a graduate of an accredited, accredited Southern Baptist seminary. Um, which, by the way, this is my only comment on seminary education. Um, it is not required to be a pastor. Uh, there's no Bible verse in your Bible that says a pastor has to go to seminary to be a pastor. That's unbiblical. Moving on. Another church listed this in their qualifications. Uh, he will be a creative problem solver and have the ability to identify opportunities that will increase the growth in membership across all generations, believers and non-members, or non-believers, excuse me. And finally, the one I love the most, the pastor shall prayerfully seek the following, uh, seek to follow, excuse me, the will of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Amen. College graduate in theology preferred but not necessary. Three plus years of experience as a senior pastor a must. 
and competent in Microsoft Word, PowerPoint, and Excel. <laughs> Proven leadership skills, and finally, vocal or musical talent would be a plus. Friends, those came right from Southern Baptist churches that are today looking for a pastor. These are real churches. I did not make those up at all. Um, those came right from sbc.net, uh, where there's a big uh, job board for pastors, Southern Baptist pastors. Now, now I don't think that all of these qualities, though I poked fun at some of them, uh, these qualifications are unbiblical or impractical. Many of them are very practical. Many of them are biblical in, in nature. But the question really still remains. As you hear those um, the question still is begged, what is a pastor? What does a pastor do? And how are you, as, as, as church members, to relate to pastors? What, what does that relationship look like? Now, now, as I begin this morning, you might be thinking, now, why should I listen to a sermon about pastors? I don't plan to be a pastor. Um, you know, I, I have no dreams of doing that kind of work. Um, can't I just sort of skip over, you know, sort of tune out for a moment and, and pause, uh, and then just sort of pick up next week with, with some really good uh, imperatives in First Peter. Friend, I just want to remind you of something here this morning. Peter is not writing to pastors. First uh, Peter is a letter to churches not a letter to pastors. Now, while in our section this morning, he's going to sort of pinpoint pastors, he is writing to churches. You see, this morning, as many of you know, but if you're not a member of this church, you will not know this, and so I'll just remind you of this truth. This is a congregational church. What that means is, is that as a congregation, uh, you have a certain responsibility, a certain authority, so our congregation is not elder rule. What that means is the elders lead the congregation, the pastors lead the congregation, but the, the congregation has the authority. The congregation is the one who says, yes, we're going to go here, or no, we're not going over there. You remember when Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. He says, if anybody comes and preaches a different gospel than the gospel I preach, uh, the gospel that we preach to you, let him be anathema, let him be uh, excommunicated from the church. He doesn't write to pastors. He writes to churches. He says, churches, you have the responsibility to make sure that what is preached from the pulpit is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if it's not, then you will be the one held responsible on the Lord's day. You will be held responsible. Oh, the pastors will be, but you. And so this morning, I don't want you to think that, oh, this is about pastors. This is two pastors. I'm not a pastor, therefore. No, I want you to see that he is teaching this, these congregations that he is writing to. He is teaching Catonsville Baptist Church what a pastor should be. He is teaching you in, in what you should look for, what you should desire, what you should praise, and what you should rebuke you should exhort a pastor to, what you should warn him from. And as we'll see in a moment, God has called this congregation and everyone like it to not have just one pastor, but many men who are shepherding God's people. And so this morning, this message is for you as much as it is for me as a pastor. 
This message is to you as you think about men in this congregation who you might affirm, might say, yeah, he would make a good pastor. He would make a good elder. Well, what are you basing that on? Are you basing that on the fact he knows how to use Microsoft Word? Or are you using that based on what Peter exhorts us here in 1 Peter? I want to remind you this morning that Peter's writing again to Christians who are suffering for the sake of Christianity. And he's writing to offer them comfort and to give clarity in the midst of their suffering. Peter writes to remind them of who they are in Christ. So central to this letter is is understanding who you are, your identity, your new identity in Christ. And as they have traveled some difficult paths of suffering in this sort of fallen and broken world, they are to be reminded that they are not alone, that Christ has also suffered for them. And as we'll see next week, that they are joined in with other Christians throughout the world who are suffering with them. And so as they walk this difficult path, the context being suffering, the context being difficulty, the the context being this world is hard to live in. It's hard to navigate all of the difficult terrain. Peter writes this to remind you this morning that Christians are sheep in need of a shepherd. And thankfully God has graciously given shepherds. Shepherds to help his flock endure to the end. This is who Peter's writing to. So let's begin. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. So I, Peter, exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger... Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Christians are sheep in need of a shepherd. And God has graciously provided shepherds to exercise oversight to God's people by leading them well for His glory. So the purpose of our time this morning is to equip you, is to help you identify and to hold accountable godly men who aspire to be pastors. For me, what I want you to have are the the biblical rails to run on to understand what is a pastor and what isn't a pastor. So a pastor is not someone who would succeed necessarily in corporate America. A pastor is not necessarily someone who has great uh, people skills, is an extrovert. What is a pastor? So three questions this morning, sort of, we'll organize our thoughts around this morning. Three questions. First, who is an elder? Second, what does an elder do? And third, how should you relate to the elders? Who is an elder? What does an elder do, and how should I relate to the elders? 
Peter begins here in verse 1 by writing, So I exhort the elders among you. I exhort the elders among you. Peter is exhorting. He, is, uh, he has a word of exhortation, a word of, of command, a word of doing to the elders. Now this morning you might not be familiar with that term, elder. That word may be foreign to you if you're a good Baptist. Uh, if you've been around the Baptist world for a while, you know we use a term that's similar to that, but is the same, and that is pastor. So this morning, I want you to get confused when I'm using the word elder and the word pastor and thinking that they're two different offices. They're two different uh, roles within the church. In this very section here, we see really three words used that you may have heard before. Elder, a presbyter, that's the Greek word presbyter. So, so if you grew up in a Presbyterian church... Um, you would have heard the word elder probably more than pastor because they're stressing sort of an elder rule kind of idea, the presbytery, a ruling and teaching elders. We don't have time to get into all those distinctions this morning, um, but we're not like that. We're a little different. Um, then secondly, we see the word pastor, uh, the word shepherd. Uh, when uh, earlier our brother read to us from Ephesians 4, uh, it says that God gave the church shepherd teachers. Shepherd, that word, is where we get the word pasture from, from the Latin, pastor. And so the word pastor literally means shepherd. And so when Paul, Peter right here, writes here, elders, pastor. That's what he's saying, literally. Elders, shepherd. Elders, pastor. But then there is another word here, exercising oversight, which is where we get the word episkopos or bishop. And so if you grew up in an Anglican church or in a mainline denominational church that had bishops or even in the Roman Catholic church, bishops. So, so what I want you to see here is that Peter is using all of these terms interchangeably for the same office. There are not elders, pastors, and bishops as distinct groups, but rather all are the same persons. So to get our terms correct, an elder is a pastor, a pastor is an elder, an elder is a bishop, a bishop is all of those, and there are no more apostles. Apostles died. And so the apostolic authority is gone. All we remain is their teaching. And so these are the office, this is the office that God has given, especially to lead God's people. And look at, for a moment, how Peter begins by, by sort of giving his qualifications. Notice what he writes, he goes on, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a partaker, excuse me, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter is saying, look, I am qualified to do this because I'm an elder with you. I'm an equal with you. Something that perhaps you could meditate on this afternoon if you grew up in a Roman Catholic context or you have some Roman Catholic friends. You could ask them maybe a little question would be uh, if Peter thought himself to be the vicar of Rome of greater authority than the rest of the apostles. Why does he equate himself with other pastors? I'm equal with you. I'm a fellow pastor. No, it's because Peter did not understand himself to be the vicar of Rome. 
He understand him, understood himself to be like a pastor, just like everyone else. He was a shepherd, just like the rest of the shepherds. And so this morning we see here uh, qualifications is one who has witnessed the sufferings of Christ. Uh, Peter here is reminding us and reminding pastors that you will suffer. Pastoral ministry is a ministry of suffering, not of exaltation. This is why as you look out onto the landscape of American churches, you are confused and see that it really doesn't measure up to biblical Christianity. To be clear, shepherds often get hurt by sheep. They wound and they bite and they hurt. And so Peter reminds them, listen, a part of pastoral ministry is that of pain because of the chief shepherd. His ministry was a ministry of pain. His glory came later. Your glory is now. As we think about qualifications of a pastor, Paul makes clear of a few qualifications himself, doesn't he? In 1 Timothy in chapter 3. If you have your Bibles open, I just encourage you to turn there quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm not going to really comment much. I just want to show you where these are if you've not ever read them. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, here it is, again, the bishop, episcopos. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, but a lover of money. Not a lover of money. He, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. submissive excuse me. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into, a, into the snare of the devil. With your Bibles open, turn over to Titus. Titus chapter 1, just a few pages to the right of where you just were. Uh, turn over, just two books over, to Titus chapter 1. Here Paul lists qualifications of an elder as well. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke, also to rebuke those who contradict it. We see here laid before us a very weighty, qualifications of an elder, uh, very weighty in, in the depth and the breadth of how an elder is to lead a godly life and how the elder is to exemplify 
This is all going to make sense in a moment when we see Peter exhorting elders to be an example to the flock. So if elders are to be an example, to be a model of Christ's likeness to the flock, wouldn't you expect to come along with that a depth of holiness, a godliness, a model worth emulating? Well, surely we understand that that those who are put in the forefront, those that are put before the congregation regularly, are really who the congregation is going to emulate anyways. Churches often become like their pastors. Uh, The weaknesses of their pastors often uh, really shows up in the life of the congregation. His strengths often become their strengths and weaknesses their weaknesses. But one of the things I want you to see, and we're not going to have a lot of time, is that that, that elders are to be godly men. They are to resemble a depth of godliness, a model to God's people. But more than that, I want you to notice here, back to 1 Peter, back to 1 Peter, and and really what we just saw. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse Chapter 5, excuse me, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you. The elders, plural. More than one. In all of the usages in the New Testament, when the New Testament writers are writing to churches, it is always in the plural and never in the singular. Never do you find singular pastors leading churches. All throughout the New Testament, we see the design is that God's people will be led not by one shepherd, but by a plurality of shepherds. By more than one shepherd. That may be three, that may be five, that may be fifty, that may be a hundred. It really just depends on the context and depends on how many people are in the congregation. But what we do see clearly is that there is more than one elder, more than one pastor who is leading and shepherding the congregation. And and friends, can't you just just imagine the kind of practical benefits of that? The practical benefits of having more than one man who is spiritually mature, who is a model to the congregation? Where you can see men loving one another and modeling one another when they have disagreements. And showing the congregation that, look, we can have disagreements and still be unified. Oh, there's so many practical benefits of this. But what we understand is that elders are men called by God. We believe, the Bible teaches, that that men only are to aspire to the office of elder. Not because we don't think women are, are, are godly or, or, or able to teach, but we believe, because we're complementarians, we believe that men and women have certain roles. And with the life of the church, we believe that God has called men to lead in this way. That doesn't mean our sisters are relegated to some unimportant task in the church. No, women, I think, play a more vital and central role to the life of God's people than we even realize. Often it is the women who are here on the Lord's Day and not the men. It is often the women who will weather the storms of difficulty, not the men. But elders are reserved to be men called by God who have a level of spiritual maturity worthy to be emulated. 
We could say more about what an elder is or who he is, but, but we want to get to really the, the heart of the matter, this, which is what does an elder do? What does an elder do? What does he spend his time doing? What does he fill his week with? Playing golf? Sadly, in parts of our country, in our own denomination, pastors care more about improving uh, their handicap in their golf game than they do about what we will see here in this passage. What does an elder do? What, what are your expectations of an elder this morning? Look here at verses 2 through 3. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Uh, the main exhortation in this passage, it, the main command, the main imperative is verse 2 at the beginning. Shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God. Elders, shepherd. Pastors, pastor. This is what they do. This is not only who they are, but it's what they do. It, they tend the flock of God. The biblical imagery here of a shepherd and a sheep is vivid to us. Although we don't live in an agrarian culture, we don't live like, you know, you didn't pass sheep on the way. I just encourage you to maybe uh, watch the way sheep and shepherds interact with one another. We know much about sheep. Sheep need a lot of care. Uh, sheep are, are not creatures that, that do well. They don't thrive well on their own. In isolation, they will most likely succumb to death through various things, whether it be broken limbs or falling over on their back and unable to turn over, to, to maybe a predator getting them. Sheep are weak often in many ways. They are helpless. They, they can't find water if it was right before them. They need someone to lovingly. So what does a shepherd do? Well, a shepherd protects the sheep, doesn't he? He feeds the sheep. He leads them to green pasture. He leads them to water to drink. He cares for their needs. He bandages up their broken limbs. As Jesus said, he leaves the 99 to go after the one. He goes after the one that's strayed. He leads them to, to good places. He leads them to find shelter from the rain. He carries the weak and the tired. He uses his staff to pull back the aggressive sheep. He disciplines the sheep that are fighting. The ones that aren't unified. The ones that are always at each other. I know the, the shepherd is bitten by the sheep. Shepherds often are wounded by their sheep, whether because of the, the difficult terrain that they are walking in or because of uh, a sheep just getting a little aggressive with him. Although he is often hurt and has the scars upon his own flesh of the sheep, he still lovingly tends to their needs. And Peter uses this metaphor. Borrowed from Ezekiel chapter 9 and Ezekiel 34 to, to, to paint for us a vivid picture of what a pastor is to do. All of those things we could 
We could apply to God's people. A pastor is to protect the sheep from wolves, from false teachers. He's to feed the sheep the, the, the enduring words of Christ. He's to pray with them and care for their needs. He's to bandage up their wounded hearts and tenderly apply those things. In many ways, shepherds need to be the most tender creatures Shepherds need to have a, a sense of ruggedness, but a sense of, of lovingness, a sense of compassion. Shepherd doesn't take a sheep that's fallen and kick it over and leave it behind. A shepherd, shepherd does whatever it takes to get that sheep home. And as you think of this, this imagery, as you think about uh, this picture that, that Peter is painting in your mind this morning, oh, isn't this beautiful for what pastors do for you? In your journey onward, in your, in your sanctification, in the difficulty of suffering and trial, what do you need more but than shepherds to shepherd you home? Continually point you to God and His Word to tend the flock. And so pastors are to give themselves primarily to tending the flock of God. And they are to, and I'm just going to point this out really, really quickly. Uh, I, wanna, I want you to point out something, and I'm not going to spend any time with it, but I want you to look at it. Verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Pastor, pastor your people, not others. As you think about what, what an elder is, I just want to encourage you with this one application. An elder, as I look out and I think about someone who would be a potential elder, I think they're people who are already, men who are already eldering the congregation. They're not about building ministries and they're not about building platforms, but they're loving everyone in the flock. They're already ministering and giving themselves and shepherding the whole flock, those among you, not just some of you, not just the, the, the nice sheep, the ones that you know, kind of smell a little better, but all of the sheep, even those ones that keep biting you, all of them. This is Peter's own responsibility that was given to him by the Lord, is it not? Uh, we remember on that shore there after the Lord's resurrection as they were, uh, the disciples gathered there in John 21. They were on the seashore. They were having breakfast there. In that very famous passage, uh, Jesus pulls Peter aside. Peter, do you love me? And in that beautiful time where Jesus restores Peter from his denial, that threefold denial, Jesus restores him in a sort of a threefold way. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And every time Peter's like, Jesus, you know I love you. I messed up. I fell. I stumbled. The enemy defeated me in a moment of weakness. You know I love you. And each time Jesus responded with this, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter himself knew what it meant to shepherd because he had lived with the chief shepherd. Jesus, uh, Peter knew what, what Jesus meant when he said, 
feed my lambs. And he understands what he means when he exhorts pastors today. So how are pastors to tend the flock of God? Well, he says clearly in verse 2, exercising oversight. Pastors are not hirelings. They are shepherds who lead. Peter lists here vices to avoid, three of them. Pastors are not to shepherd from mere duty, not under compulsion, but willingly. Look, if someone is making you do it, you should not be doing it. If you feel compelled to do it, you feel like, yeah, man, I, there's nothing else I can do in the church, and like I just want to do that. Well, friend, maybe you're not called uh, to this particular task. Pastors don't shepherd out of mere duty. Well, you know, my, my secular job didn't work out, and so, you know, I've got this education, and I guess I've got to do something with my time and, you know, pay the bills. So I, so I guess I'll go, you know, preach on the Lord's Day at a few churches and, and see how things go. And Jesus says clearly, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom, fit for service in the kingdom of God. Pastors do not pastor out of mere duty, but, but as we'll see in a moment, willingly. He goes on to write, not under, um, excuse me, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, not for greed. Isn't there a tendency we see in the church today of, of pastoring, pastoring for, for, for greed? I don't know why. Not like pastors make much money. They were confused, I guess. Uh, they see wealthy pastors and they think, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some money off the sheep. I don't know many of you have that testimony in your own life. You've seen that. You've seen pastors who've done that, who've manipulated you and manipulated the church in order to get more money. And Peter says, don't shepherd not domineering, verse 3, over those in your charge. Not hungry for power. There is a danger that comes with pastoral ministry. And that is the danger of power. Men aspire to the office of elder in order to have power over others. They are evil and wicked and vile men who will be judged by the Lord Jesus. And so the question is, those are the ones to avoid. One quote here by Richard Baxter, he once wrote, One proud, surly, lordy word, one needless contention, one covetous action may cut the throat of many a sermon and blast the fruit of all that you have been doing. His exhortation was to pastors that are beating the sheep rather than lovingly shepherding the sheep. And so as a pastor, I aspire not to beat sheep, and that's, we see also here in verses 2 and 3, uh, vices to pursue. He says that pastors should shepherd willingly, from a willing heart, an eager heart. Someone who is willingly wanting to do this. Peter has in mind a shepherd who is not afraid to get hurt. Look, if you're doing it just to do it out of mere duty... What will happen when difficulty comes? What will happen when trial comes? What will, we, what will happen when a, a few sheep rise up and, and begin to bite? 
Well, I could tell you what will happen. The pastor will flee. He will run away. But if he's there for the long haul, if he's there willingly, not, not under compulsion, no one's making him do it. He, he's not put up by some denominational person, but rather he is there saying, I'm going to give myself and my life to these people. Well, then he'll stay through the hard days. He will fight through the difficulty because he's there willingly. And he's there also eagerly. He's not there to, to, to make gain over the sheep. I think today in our own denomination, the problem now isn't so much financial gain, but popularity. There's a tendency among pastors, and one way you can pray for your pastors, pastor, is the temptation of building a kingdom unto himself. The temptation that pastors face is to make a name for themselves rather than a name for Jesus. I don't care who you are, how spiritual you are, that is a temptation that pastors face. Leading for shameful gain, for popularity and prestige. And look, if you want to be popular in this world, you've got to, you, you know, you've got to give a lot in order to get a lot. And, and so as God's people, we want to be eager and we want to finally, you see, be an example to the flock. Notice here in verse 3, he compares domineering, lording it over those in your charge with being an example. It's, it's kind of surprising, isn't it not? He says, don't be domineering, but be an example. In the others, you got it. I, I think probably in your mind you thought, you know, don't do it for duty, do it willingly. Okay, I get that. Those, those pairs go together. Uh, don't do it for shameful gain, but do it eagerly. Again, that pair seems to go together quite well. But here in this last one, this pair doesn't seem to really fit together. Well, unless we understand what Peter is after here. Someone who is lording it over others is someone who is prideful and someone who doesn't need to repent of sin. Someone who is, who is constantly lording over people thinks that he is above reproach in the sense that he does not need to repent of his sins. He doesn't need to live in submission to others. I answer to no man. So, so, so my exhortation would be this. If you're ever a part of a congregation or if you ever hear in this pulpit, um, I'm the Lord's anointed, listen to me. Well, if you're not in this congregation, flee. Um, so if you're in another church and you hear a pastor and you're part of that congregation, he says to you, I am the Lord's anointed and no one touches the Lord's anointed. You just get out of that place and you run. And if you're in this place, you just excommunicate, you like remove whoever's doing that. Any elder who stands above the sheep, any elder who stands and is not gracious, one who's not willing to understand that he is a sinner in need of a Savior. Jonathan Edwards wrote, resolved to act in all respect, both speaking and doing, as if nobody has been so vile as I. And if I had committed the same sins or had the same infirmities or failings as others, and that I will let the knowledge of their failings promote nothing but shame in myself and prove only an occasion of my confessing sin, my own sins, and misery to God. 
what Edwards is saying there is, is that when I see sin of others, that drives me to my own knees to confess sin in my own heart. We see here in verse 4 uh, the motivation to shepherd well. If you ever wondered what is it that motivates pastors, what is it that should be motivating you and I to shepherd well if you are called to the office of elder? What is it that you should be motivating uh, me with? What is it that you should be using to spur elders along? What well, comes in verse 4. The motivation to shepherd well is that, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Two things I want you to see here. First, shepherds work for Jesus. Shepherds work for Jesus. Jesus is the only perfect shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. He's the shepherd that, that all shepherds should emulate. And so fundamentally, if you want to know what, what a pastor should look like, well, I mean, we look, what's, what's Jesus doing? How does, how does he live? Well, he lays down his life for the sheep. And so the standard for pastors is a willingness to lay down his life, their lives, for the sheep. A willingness to sacrifice, a willingness to give their lives. And this is a warning, I think, to pastors that, listen, Jesus is coming again. The way you pastor will be assessed. The way a pastor shepherds. And so this morning, if, if you're frustrated maybe with, with a pastor in your life, if you're frustrated with the way you were treated, first I just want to apologize. I just want to say sorry. Pastors can, can ruin many souls by their, their lack of love and care and compassion. But I want to offer you a bit of assurance. Uh, that brother will, will stand before Jesus. That brother will stand before Jesus for the pain and sorrow that he has caused you. He will answer for his sins. But more than that, I want to see secondly here, just very briefly, shepherds will be compensated, excuse me, well. Shepherds will be compensate, compensated well. And when the chief shepherd appears, you, you shepherds, he's writing to the shepherds, he's writing to the elders, you elders will receive the unfading crown of glory. Sheep may bite, sheep may hurt you. They may stab you in the back. They may cause great heartache to you and your family. But brothers, remember, you will be compensated well. You're going to get the unfading crown of glory. Now he's writing to elders here, specifically in this particular context, telling elders, listen, elder well, pastor well, shepherd well, in good seasons and bad seasons, because it really doesn't matter. You are going to get the unfading crown of glory. And so the eye of an elder is not towards the praise of men or your money, but to receiving the unfading crown of glory. And so one of the questions I want to ask a potential elder is who do you work for and what do you work for? Do you work for King Jesus? Do you work for Jesus? Or are you a self-made man? Who do you work for? And what do you work for? What is it that, that gives you assurance 
Is it the paycheck? Is it the, the applause at the end of the sermon? Is it the, the power that you have over people in their lives? Or is it one day King Jesus is going to give you a crown that will not fade? One day Jesus will give you something that will last forever. So this morning if you aspire uh, to be an elder, and that is your reward. You aspire, as Paul says, to a a good and noble task. Very briefly here, I just want to hit a few points. We have about five minutes left, and I I want to hit a few things. How should I relate to elders? Uh, First, you should be part of a flock. Throughout this passage, Peter has exhorted elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. I am responsible to the members of Catonsville Baptist Church and no more or no less than that. So if you're not a member of the church, I love you. I hope you'll become a member so that you can be formally a part of the flock. Uh, Clearly, I don't think Jesus means, and I don't think Peter means here, that pastors are to shepherd all Christians in the world. Well, that's a very difficult task uh, because of geography uh, and because of time. No, we see there is a clear relationship between people and between elders and people, a flock. If you're to shepherd a flock, you've got to know who your sheep are. So you have to be a part of a flock. So how do you relate to elders? You submit yourself to uh, church membership. You submit yourselves to the, 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 the regular gathering of God's people. Secondly, you recognize that you are a sheep in need of a shepherd. Isn't it interesting here in verse 4, or excuse me, in verse 5, that he, he lists this exhortation to the young folks and then this exhortation to, to really be humble. Why in the midst of exhortation to elders would he pause and then look out upon the crowd and say, listen, all of you be humble? Because I think Peter has in mind people who don't think they need a shepherd. Who think, you know, I can navigate this world. I can get through the the difficult terrain. I got it. I'm strong enough. So Peter reminds them that they are to have humility toward the elders. Brothers and sisters, I just wanted to be clear. Elders are not perfect people. They make mistakes. They often lead in the wrong direction. They think water is here, but it's really ever over there. So pastors are not perfect people. If you think that, you are you will, your expectations need to come down a little bit. Um, they make mistakes. But there's a sense in which a willingness to submit to those in authority over you. As Hebrew, the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrew 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give, have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. The worst thing for a church is a grumpy pastor. A pastor who feels as if he is unloved. A pastor who feels as if uh, he is just a hireling and to do the the sort of administrative tasks. I guess perhaps that's why he needs to know how to use Microsoft Word. Brothers and sisters, I want to thank you that I don't feel that way as your pastor. I thank you for the privilege of being able to shepherd you, 
And one of the things I recognize practically that sheep, sometimes it takes them time to get used to shepherds. You know, often animals are that way, aren't they? You have a dog or other animal. They begin to warm up to you over time, right as you spin. You love them, you feed them, you, 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 you take them and you care for them, you bathe them, right? There, there's this reciprocal love that happens. Well, well, brothers and sisters, I've only been here a little over two years, and I clearly have not been here long enough for that to look. That is why, this is my final point, that elders who pastor well stay long. Because it takes time for the sheep to begin to smell that shepherd and to be able to submit themselves to his leading and be able to go where he is leading them. That familiar smell that he brings to the congregation. And so that past, so that shepherd to shepherd well stay. Brothers and sisters, we could say more, but our time has expired. What we must understand as God's people is that elders are a gift given by God to shepherd God's flock. They are to tend God's people willingly, eagerly, and graciously, motivated by the master's reward. And Christians are to be, be sheep in need of a shepherd. And so this morning, may you humbly submit to those in authority over you. And may we hold up Jesus. May we hold up Jesus as the example to all shepherds. A shepherd who is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it is the, the light of our path. And that we can see clearly and navigate this world because you have spoken. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us a willing heart to su submit ourselves to your word and to your leading, that we would order ourselves together as God's people around your word, not around this world and what this world thinks is successful, what this world thinks leaders should be. Oh, Lord, may we give an attentive ear and a willing heart to what you say. And, Father, again, my desperate prayer, the desperate prayer of this congregation is this. God, raise up godly men, godly elders, who will shepherd this congregation well into the next generation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.